Hello, I'm Georges Collinet with this week's Afropop Worldwide audio feature, a web exclusive, Geraldo Pino and Fela Kuti in Ghana, hosted by my colleague, Banning Air. And remember to check afropop.org to hear the full one-hour program, Ghana One, Ebo Taylor and the pioneers of Afrofunk. Get past the people, get past the hitmen! The common thread that runs through the Afro-funk, Afro-beat story is the astounding impact of the godfather of soul, James Brown, in West Africa. Brown famously toured Nigeria in 1970. In our program on Abel Taylor and Afro-funk, Ghanaian highlife arranger and Fela Kuti's good friend, Stan Planche, claims that Brown was a flop in Nigeria. Well, I suppose it depends on where you sat, but Abo Taylor sure didn't remember it that way. When he was in Nigeria, every Nigerian was mad. Hey, you know, like the real guy, the Jesus Christ is here. And I've never forgotten how exciting, uh, even, if, even if he sings, if I rule the world, it's a, it's a ballad. But the way he sings it, you see that it's an African, there's something burning in him. And it, it takes you back to the north. And the north spreads from the east coast to the west coast. That belt of people there are real suffering from climate and vegetation. It's not easy for them, you know, when they talk about their blues. The similarity of James and the people up there, you, you can feel the same thing. If he was a politician, he would win all the election. and many veteran musicians in Ghana hear James Brown's vocal intensity as an echo of the anguished Sahel region of North and West Africa. This idea is part of Ghana's local funk lore. But a somewhat younger Ghanaian producer, Panji Anoff, says Brown's music had a more general appeal for West Africans. He had these call and response songs. Say it loud, I'm black and proud. So it's he calls and you respond. Africans always want to participate in the music. We don't just want to dance. We want to clap. We want to sing. We want to feel the music in every last bone of our body. And James Brown makes that. He invites you. Fela is the same. Fela invites you to participate in the music. I can't listen to Fela without dancing or laughing or smiling or feeling sad. I can't listen to Fela's music without it conjuring some kind of strong emotion in me somehow, somewhere. Now, the guy who brought James Brown's sound to more West Africans than anybody was actually Geraldo Pino of Sierra Leone. I am from Ghana. You are from Freetown. I am from Lagos. You are from Kenya. Pino came to Ghana in 1967 with his band The Heartbeats, and they spent three years rocking audiences all over Ghana and then went on to Nigeria. Everybody remembers Pino's channeling of James Brown. But listen to Francis Fuster, the drummer and musical director of The Heartbeats. He witnessed Pino's evolution from The Heartbeats' Maracas player to the band's guiding visionary, financier, and frontman. So we played all the rock and roll songs. We covered all the Congolese stuff from Congo at the time. We covered highlights from Ghana. We played everything. 
But mostly we focused on people like Cliff Richards, Elvis Presley, Louis Jordan. We went into the boogie-woogie and all that kind of stuff. But the band was such a talented, versatile band that we could play almost everything and sound authentic in every area. Around 1966, when we got to Liberia, that's when the James Brown, because Liberia was a very American colony, and all the American music was in Liberia. By 1966, James Brown had taken the world, and so Pino picked up James Brown, and he could do that very well. And he got better and better, and he got bigger and bigger with it. And so he became the James Brown of Africa at that time. One of the best gimmicks any live band could have at the time was James Brown, because James Brown was just the dominant force in this soul music which had just come and turned everything upside down. You see, in those days, people had heard James Brown's music, but they might have never seen his image before. So in many ways, the millions of people or the hundreds of thousands of people who had been mesmerized by James Brown's music their hunger was satisfied by Geraldo Pino, who, I mean, basically took a lot of James Brown and just did it in his own way, but his own way was very, 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 very similar to James Brown. But it was also indigenous or different in other ways. His band was of the same size like James Brown. They were using a keyboard and they were using two guitars and they have equipment to boost the sound, you know, the technical aspect of it. That actually called, not the music aspect of it, but the technical. So he became very popular, and he was playing James Brown songs. Pino was way ahead. He read everything about music and the equipment. In fact, one time I remember he traveled to Italy just to get the best equipment he could get. And a fella actually learned how to make his band sound good from Geraldo Pino, really. And he learned a lot of stuff from us. We had good equipment, the best. He saw to that. So he earned his position that way. Gerardo Pino and the Heartbeat, I mean, Ghana hasn't seen equipment like that. The impact was great. They had the best of girls, the best of gigs, and all that. They took the same thing to Nigeria, and they worried fella with that. That's Jadu Blay Ambole, another key figure in the move from high life to jazz and funk. Here's his take on why fella came to Ghana in the first place. Fella had come back from England, and he was struggling because uh, Nigerians weren't understanding the format that he was bringing, you know, because they, they could feel more outside influence, you know, in the highlight because of the instrumentations and all that. So Fela was finding it tough in Nigeria. So he told himself, man, I think I better go to Ghana because he felt that he'll be understood. And yes, Ghanaians understood it because he came and met progressive bands like the kind of style that he was doing, you know. So it's like a jazz highlight you know, that, you know, married together, you know. And fella came with that. And he fitted in here. He told the Nigerian musicians, man, if you want to know music, go to Ghana. When J. Dublé Ambole says that Geraldo Pino worried fella, 
he's voicing a common perception. That's exactly the way Pino comes across in the Broadway show, Fela. He's a kind of rival to the Afrobeat founder. But Francis Fuster, who knew both men well, remembers it a bit differently. Well, Fela came to see us play. He had heard in Nigeria about this band from Sierra Leone. He traveled from Nigeria to come and see this band. And when he came, he fell in love with the band, you know. Said hello, and you have a great man. And then, then I said, well, that, that's Geraldo Pino. I introduced him, and they spoke, and they became great friends, too. They were, they were good friends. They had similar ideas going in different directions. But Fela became one of our greatest fans for many years. Followed us around. At the same time, Fela's aim in Ghana was to play his own music, specifically to break his jazzy highlife band Kula Lobitos. Highlife and Afro-jazz arranger Stan Plange remembers Fela's first visit to Ghana around 1966. It was trumpeter Zeal Oni of the Uhuru Dance Band who introduced Fela to Accra. So Zeal brought Fela to Accra. By then Fela had got his band the Kula Lubitus were playing high life from jazzy funk type of high life. Fela wanted to tour Accra with his band. He was coming to book nine clubs where he would play. So I went around with Fela, Apollo Theater, Lido Nightclub, Ringway Hotel, Star Hotel, so many places. Then Fela came down with his group. I think they stayed in the Ringway Hotel. We started playing, but Fela wasn't popular in those days. Nobody knows Fela. Which, of course, meant he wasn't making money. Stan Plange formed a lasting friendship with Fela when he offered to put up the ten members of Kula Lobitos at the Uhuru Dance Band's house. Stan even surrendered his own room to Fela. Because you can't stay with Fela in a room. He brings in women any time, always. He goes and comes with another one. He goes and comes with another one. So anytime he comes, I vacate the room for him and go and stay at my family house. That's why we became very, very good friends. When I knew Fela, Fela wasn't even smoking cigarette, wasn't even drinking any alcohol. He drinks only Fanta. He tell you, I want Fanta orange. He does not drink, does not smoke, not even cigarettes. Well, as we know, that would change, and so would Fela's musical fortunes in Ghana. He eventually settled in at Faisal Helwani's Napoleon Club, where he met Hugh Masekela, among others. Jadu Blay Ambole remembers this as an incredibly exciting time for music in Accra. There were so many clubs in Accra, apart from Faisal's Napoleon Club. Even before Faisal's Napoleon Club, there were so many clubs like Tito Nightclub, Lido Nightclub, Metropole, Seaview, uh, Wato, so many clubs. And most of these nightclubs had bands performing there. Sometimes you can see three bands playing at a club, one club, in one night. So when one band's finished playing, it goes to another club. 
This was in the 60s, late part of 60s. The Uhuru Band was there, Modinier's Band was there, Gio Kelly's Band was there, Africana Rhythmus, the Dominant Seven, Paramount Eight, and these were all progressive bands. This was the time that Fela came to Ghana. Fella was playing trumpet at the time. Most people don't know that he played the trumpet for many years. He was a great trumpeter, amazing trumpeter. Interestingly, that's not at all how Stan Plange recalls it. He was then playing trumpet. Trumpet was his instrument when he attended Trinity College, London. But to be honest, he wasn't a good trumpet player. Fella wasn't good on the trumpet. His embouchure wasn't that strong. He was better on the saxophone than the trumpet. <laughs> well, have a listen and judge for yourself. really caused a riff with Fela's friends in Ghana was when he started singing political songs after 1970. Francis Fuster told me he basically lost his friendship with Fela over this. After Geraldo Pino's band broke up, Francis and Fela used to hang out in Lagos, checking out bands, turning on to Latin music, and talking about everything. But once Francis told Fela he was making a mistake to sing politics, all that came to an end. Here's how Ebo Taylor experienced Fela's shift to being a political singer. We've been friends in England, so, you know, he's, he knows that I'm always in the Alive group, so he sees me in Lagos. I say, hey, Ebo, come, let's play some Alive, you know, and uh, he thinks, yeah, we are all doing well. But when I tell him, your music is too political, he's talking about politics, instead of putting the emphasis on the music, he thinks uh, I'm not paying attention to my environment, what is going on. You know, he thinks I've taken life easily and, you know, he thinks um, uh, I'm one of the people who subscribe to the oppressive thing. But I thought, you know, it makes so much enemies for him. I had a workshop at a Walmart uh, two years ago and the GBC interviewer asked me, why is your music, would you keep politics and things like that out of your music? I said, it makes enemies for my music, so my music should embrace all, bring peace. They cheered for about 10 minutes, I was surprised. That, that was the time I knew how deep Fela had gone to make enemies because of his music. Fela, I got to know that if he's made up his mind to do something, you can't change him, and you better stay out of his private life. You know, Fela's music changed when he started this political thing. Fela's best music was before he changed to go into politics. When he became political, the quality of his music, the generator went down. Because he wasn't interested in the tune again. He was interested in either blasting government or something with his words. I don't blame him for doing that either. That's his choice and... It makes his music sometimes very powerful, you know. So I don't blame him. I don't say, I don't say, hey, fella, what you are doing is wrong. But I say, hey, watch out. These people are, you know, out for you. You know, when he was released from uh, the prison, I was the first person he called 
when he came out, they said, Taylor, you know, you know, I'm here, am I, you know? But he, he never cared two hoots about what happens to him. They beat him, they, they want to kill him, and he doesn't care. He will still come out and do the same thing. I don't blame him because of the nature of the Nigerian politics. And I, I don't blame him because uh, that's his style. This is the Yoruba. They are not afraid to die today. They, they don't care. Once he thinks he's right, he's right forever. But to me, Fela is one of the greatest African musicians. You know, to be able to have your own sound, your own interpretation, your own everything that when they hear, they know that this is Fela. I think it's an institution, you know, by itself. So to somebody, Fela is a fool. To somebody, Fela is the bravest person they've ever come across. But they might both actually be describing the same act. It's just how they interpret something. But any human being who can draw such opposite emotions from two different people with the same deed is interesting. Amen. Panji Anoff. Fela is nothing if not interesting. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Banning Air. Thanks, Banning. You can find photos, interviews, music, videos, and more from our work in Ghana on our website, afropop.org. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. And join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Until then, I'm Georges Collinet.